Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you.
Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sodder Show. I'm Rory Sodder, your host. It is great to be with all of you. I hope you're all having a fantastic day. I, uh, I hope it's been productive. I hope it's been fun. Uh, the weekend is approaching, which is always a huge relief and a great feeling. Uh, like I do every episode, I want to thank my co-hosts, my sponsors, my audience, and uh, my amazing guests. Uh, you guys are absolutely amazing. Uh, we had a fantastic show on Tuesday and Monday. And uh, remember, everybody, we're listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you missed any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenextgenusa.com. And remember, uh, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people doing their own shows on my new network, The Next Gen, which I'm very excited to share with all of you. Uh, I do want to uh, introduce um, popular talk show host, popular talk show host, 2024 presidential candidate, activist, and best-selling author, Daryl King. Daryl, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm good. This phone call business is really getting uh, out of hand, but um, it's uh, good, it good to hear your voice, brother. I wasn't here Tuesday, but I'm told that you kept the liberals supervised without me. So I'm happy to be back tonight and looking forward to another rocking show. Absolutely, man. Me too. We got a lot. We got a lot to discuss. Uh, let me also introduce uh, founder of Republicans United, founder of College Republicans United, and currently the leader of Nationalists United, Kevin Dukeiper. How are you? Doing absolutely wonderful, Rory. I'm looking forward to this show, and oh my God, there's so much going on in the news, so I can't wait to get into it. There really is, guys. There really is. Also want to welcome to the show um, political activist, strategist, popular talk show host, and a, a war veteran for, for Desert Storm, Eric Thompson. Eric, how are you? Doing great. Yeah, a lot of good stuff going uh Going our way, I think, tonight in the news, so I'm looking forward to the show. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I want to get into the opening story. Uh, the, um, you know, this just news just came in about hour and a half ago. President Trump has ordered his Attorney General, Barr, to look into every single thing that went on with this Russia hoax. We're going after every single detail. People are going to have to talk. I mean, this isn't something that, you know, these people are going on the left and with the deep state and the swamp are going to be able to avoid. They're not going to be able to avoid this. This is something extremely serious. Um, I'm just going to read to you a little bit about, you know, the report uh, that came out earlier. And then, uh, I want to play a clip. Um, th this is quote-unquote. Uh, Today, at the request and recommendation of the Attorney General of the United States, President Donald J. Trump directed the intelligence community to quickly and fully cooperate with the Attorney General's investigation into surveillance activities during the 2016 presidential election. Um, the, this is another quote-unquote. The Attorney General has also been delegated full and complete authority to declassify information pertaining to this investigation in accordance with the long-established standards for handling classified information. 
Today's action will help ensure that all Americans learn the truth about the events that occurred and the actions that were taken during the last presidential election and will restore the confidence in our public institutions. Um, you know, like we've seen many times, um, Trump has said that his campaign was the victim of spying, and it was. This is way worse than Watergate and anything uh, Nixon had to deal with. Uh, you know, way worse. This is much, much worse. Um, and you have all this information coming out. Uh, I want to play this clip about when the report broke. So we can get all the exact information, more at least. Here we go. One four. Um, this is a Fox News alert for you. The president has just released a memo about declassification. He says he wants to release information about spying on his campaign back in 2016. Fox's David Spun is following all of this for us from our Washington bureau. David, what do we know at this hour? Hey, Tucker, we are just learning this in the last few minutes. Literally just rushed in the studio. This is the memo right here from the Trump administration. I want to read a statement from Press Secretary Sarah Sanders, just briefly go over it. She just says, today at the request and recommendation of the Attorney General, President Trump directed the intelligence community to quickly and fully cooperate with the Attorney General's investigation into surveillance activities during the 2016 election. The Attorney General has also been delegated full and complete authority to declassify information pertaining to this investigation in accordance with long-established standards for handling classified information. This act will ensure that all Americans learn the truth about the events that occurred and the actions that were taken during the last presidential election and restore confidence in our public institutions. Again, this is a two-page memo. I'm looking at it right now. Memorandum for the Secretary of State, Secretary of Treasury, other cabinet officials coming from President Donald Trump, a statement coming from Press Secretary Sarah Sanders declassifying uh, that information on the intelligence-related spying into that 2016 campaign breaking right now, Tucker, but we'll be sure to follow it. An amazing story. I'm sure we'll be hearing very soon about how we don't have a right to see it. David Spun, great to see you tonight. Thank you. And this, this quote-unquote from, from A.G. Barr uh, needs, to be, needs to be read real quick because he said this last month, and everybody needs to remember this. Quote-unquote, I think spying did occur. The question is whether it was ad- adequately predicted. Predicated, Barr testified last month, adding that he believed he believed it is his obligation to review whether there was misconduct in the original investigation. Congress is usually very concerned with intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies staying in their proper lane. Um, he added that spying on a political campaign is a big, big deal. It is no joke. Let's not forget, guys, they set this up. The Democrats in the deep state set this up right after they lost the election. They did not have legitimate. They did not have legitimate cause. Not nothing. Nothing that was significant enough to open this investigation of nonsense. And there was a new poll out today. Sixty-four percent of the public say the FBI knew the dossier was bunk prior to apply, applying it for the FISA warrant. That that's the majority, everybody. 64% of our country thinks it was bunk even before it, it made headlines. So, I mean, it, 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 this, is, this is big stuff, big, big stuff. Um, let's go to Eric. Eric, go ahead. Well, I, I think um, for those of us that, that got on the Trump train late, uh, we've been 
you know, we, we've been uh, asking ourselves at certain points, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a President Trump supporter, but it, there's times like, why hasn't he released some more of the d- documents? Why hasn't he, you know, shown what the FBI and the CIA was doing? And, um, and but it's obvious now that President Trump's been holding these as cards. And now that the Democrats want to try to push a fake impeachment uh, proceeding on him, now he's going to drop this on him and totally discredit any type of attempt for them to try to keep maintain any type of credibility moving forward. So I, I think I think President Trump has trumped the left, and I think when these hit, along with Horowitz and the special prosecutor that's working with them, when they're when they drop the uh, FISA abuse case as well as the uh, who initiated this actual witch hunt, I, I really think it's going to do some pretty damage, and it could before the 2020 election. So I think as of right now, President Trump has flipped this whole Russia hoax on its head, and uh, he might might be back in charge of all this. And we look at what's really going on here. I mean, there were absolutely no evidence of any Russian collusion. And anybody that was getting in trouble, that had to do with stuff before Trump. It had nothing to do with Trump. You know, and this is how ridiculous of a witch hunt this really is. I mean, they found nothing with Russia. Now they go into his personal finances. They go into his past business deals and total abuse of power. They're totally overstepping, overstepping the line, Eric. Well, I actually don't think that uh, I actually don't think that the left are very smart. I really don't. I, I think that. Any uh, the left being that they're a pseudo democratic socialist movement now, I, I think they they tend to try to use this mob rule or this you know this type of pure democracy idea that if they can just say things run by the media that the people who get their sound bites to make their decision on the left. I, but I, when it comes down to it, if you look at Cory Booker, if you look at Maxine Waters who just made one of the dumbest, well, well, one of her many dumb statements. Yeah, we need to go ahead and get President Trump's financial records and see if we can find a crime. Just like Pelosi said, we got to pass Obamacare to see what's in it. So they're, they're not very smart people. And, it just, and so w- when they go on the news and they try to, they're given, obviously, their talking points. It's handed down to all of them because they all say the same things on all the networks. So you might have a few smart people at the top, but when it comes to delivering their message, they're terrible. And um, it's only because we let the left take the House back that gave them a little bit of power to run these committees. This only kind of momentum they had, but the Russian hoax, the largest and the biggest coup attempt in American history on our president, on a American president, is blowing up quickly, and I, I'm I'm actually uh, I'm feeling pretty good today about uh, how things are going to play out here. I, I feel like I feel like President Trump has been lis- listening to Stephen Miller, one of his advisors. He's uh, he's making some good decisions on charging, you know, uh, sponsor people that come in the country. If those people go on welfare, he said today, well, we're going to go and charge them for all the money that they, they received in welfare immediately. So you can just see that President Trump, I think, and, and Rush Limbaugh said this today, 
most people that are presidents, most men age, look worse during their, their time in office. President Trump seems to be getting younger and seems to be really in more control than he did when he first got in. And I, I don't know. I'm just I'm feeling pretty good tonight as a conservative independent. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Um, let's go to Kevin. Kevin, go ahead. Oh, yes. Well, I absolutely concur with Eric and his analysis. And it definitely seems like Trump has gained more control. It seems like over the course of these over two years of this uh, Mueller report, Russian hoax, that he has been racking up these numbers as to how much damages that the Democrats have caused to just the, the nation in general. And if you had seen his latest press conference, he had on his podium a Mueller investigation by the numbers uh, poster, and it had said that over the course of 675 days of this entire uh, Mueller report investigation that they had spent over $35 million on it. They had given out yep. over 2,800 subpoenas. They had used over 500 witnesses, and these were all committed by these 18 angry Democrats. And so after all of this absolute uh, unnecessary obstruction of the president's ability to govern and make decisions in the interest of the American people, you, we have found that after all this, there is no collusion, no obstruction, and an absolute uh, waste of uh, the president's time as well as the national resources. So uh, it's definitely the case now that Trump has racked up his numbers, has taken statistics of all the damages that the Democrats have uh, contributed to our country, that he is taking control. There is absolutely a great uh, team behind him, and we are about to uh, take names and uh, send out some indictments. So I'm very uh, invested and interested in seeing uh, how soon that's going to take place, but it's definitely going to carry him just right into the uh, 2020 election. I, I believe that it's going to take place uh, sooner to the, the election period. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Very well said. Uh, Daryl, go ahead. grinning ear to ear. Oh, uh, yeah, and I'm going to echo what uh, both Kevin and Eric have, have said thus far. I've been grinning ear to ear all day. You there? Daryl. Daryl cut out. I don't know. Hello? Weird. Well, what? Daryl will be back in a second. Probably. I mean, there's there's something wrong where I can't uh, get him on. Weird. Cut out. Um, but anyways, I, I you know this this entire scenario is absolutely amazing for us. I mean, this is this is really a home run. This is a big victory. Um, you know, it looks as if, in a lot of ways, justice will be served. You know, we can't say. Uh, for sure at this point, uh, but uh, I tell you, the way we're coming out on offense and uh, the gloves are off, it's looking good, guys. Um, let's go back to Daryl. Uh, Daryl, I don't know what happened. We lost you. Yeah, I apologize about that. I'm actually driving through a uh, pretty nasty storm right now, so I think that was on my end. I just lost the service. As I was saying, that the thing, the downside about attempting a mutiny is you know, you'd better succeed. And, and, of course, if you don't succeed, if you don't get the captain, 
you're going to face consequences. And for better or worse, you know, let's say that this this story has, I would say, overall for the first two years, this proved to be advantageous to the left. They were able to take back a portion of the government. They were able to reclaim, you know, a branch of government that they had not had for quite some time. Uh, now, unfortunately, now that it's failed, now we're looking at the bottom of this administration, and it appears to be as though Trump is going to get to spend the next two years uh, agonizingly interrogating everybody involved in this apparatus and just dragging this thing out all the way through into the election. And a lot of times it's a you know not so dirty secret that. One of the motivations, and you know, being a little bit cynical here, but sometimes we go into these wars because presidents obviously have a much better uh, reelection statistic. They, they tend to be a much higher chance of winning if they're an at-war president. And I think rather than than having a, a war with Iran, I think that Trump has the luxury right now of just waging war on the deep state for the next two years and uh, really milking this thing for every bit of political capital that it's going to get him. And, you know, aside from the, the cynical aspect of it and the political aspect, there is the real aspect of this, as Kevin alluded to, the millions of dollars that have been wasted on this, the lives that have been ruined, terrorized, the, uh, the ability that this has hindered the president's ability to govern and lead the country. And, you know, this is a very serious thing. There are all sorts of repercussions for this, some of these fiscal, some of these criminal there's a lot of different angles on this, and they all do need to be and should be addressed. And I, and I think back, again, to the, the temerity of the left, the audacity of these people. I mean, Hillary Clinton should never have been allowed to run, let, let alone, you know, I mean, she, she belongs in prison. She's committed actual crimes. And they ran her, they forced her through the primaries, and then they tried to force her on the American people. And as Trump was asked once, you know, and he, and he said during that second debate that he was going to organize a special counsel and assign them to look into her crimes, and he was asked after the election, he said, Trump, are you going to follow through on that? And Trump showed compassion. He tried to be the bigger man, and he actually said in a moment, he goes, you know, I think we're going we're gonna to let that go. And, and how do they repay him? They have the audacity to go after him with something that they completely fabricated for the next two years, and now it's failed. And so, yeah, I think as conservatives, I think we all have a, a lot of reason to be to be excited right now because I think that some vindication is is coming. And I think of sort of when you're out in the woods and you see a mossy rock and you turn it over, and the whole thing is just crawling with worms and critters. And uh, yeah, that's really what I think of leftism as a whole. And this is that perfect opportunity to just turn that rock over and examine the whole thing, examine the confluence between the Democratic Party and the mainstream media. There's all sorts of things. So they just a bottomless web of corruption, cronyism, and, and frankly, evil. And, you know, yeah, I think, as Eric said, a lot of these people on the surface area, these guys are just following orders. Um, but, but beneath that, there's a very insidious agenda that needs to be taken seriously, and this may be just the opportunity to wage the, the very real war that needs to be waged on us. Yeah, I, I can definitely say it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, if you if you were a betting man, Daryl, who do you think is going to get put away? Give me some names. You know I'm going, 
did you know I'm going to Atlantic City for uh, for a family reunion? But I'm I'm not gambling actually. I used to play a lot of poker, but I don't I don't gamble anymore these days. Um, who's going to get put away? I I don't want to I don't want to I, I don't want to speculate upon that. I mean I would I would hope that they all would. I, mean, I don't if I throw out names like Hillary Clinton and I mean look they've all been engaged in treason. The the entire agenda when he when he looks at he really take a hard constitutional approach to what the term treason actually is. I mean, the entire yeah. Democratic Party, with the exception of maybe Tulsi Gabbard and Jim Webb, uh, are, are basically active treasons, traitors. Excuse me. So I, I don't, I don't want to throw names out. You know, I would rather, I would rather be surprised on Christmas. Uh, I can tell mm. you what my wish list is, <laughs> but uh, I'll, you know, we'll see what shakes out of this, and and I'll, I'll hope that I'll just hope that he gets as, as many of these bastards as possible. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um... Eric, I'll give you I'll give you the last word, and then uh, we'll take a quick break. Yeah, I, I think uh, Comey is going to go. I think he'll be one of the first to go because he he knowingly and intentionally and Mueller could be in more trouble than we think too because Mueller and Comey were big buddies, and so when Mueller was in getting into his special counsel position when uh, Comey signed off on that first fake dossier, so I, I would say those two in trouble, but. This is one thing that's interesting about President Trump that makes him kind of unique for presidents. Even though all of this is going on, he still has eight or ten other things he's accomplishing at the same time. Uh, he just, there's going to be a presidential memorandum coming out that he's going to, he's going to restrict welfare benefits for non-citizens. So while all of this fight is going on, challenging Pelosi and he's going out to the Rose Garden behind the scenes he's doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G simultaneously and that's the benefit of having a CEO as the executive of the United States government versus a politician yeah very well said you're, you're, uh, you're absolutely right and um, do you do you see how long do you see this investigation going on a few years a year well, the the uh, uh, bar is going to move pretty quick as soon as as soon as he gets the uh, the report from Horowitz and gets the special prosecutor's information from Durham. I think I think there'll be. I actually think there's already grand juries have been in place. That Durham's already bringing in the uh, the fake Russia hoax people. So I actually I actually think we're going to see some stuff in less than in less than a year. We're going to see some pretty significant indictments coming down on people. So the 2020 election is going to be, it's going to require we the people to focus on making sure that the youth that are now able to vote are not going to get swayed to vote for a Biden socialist lie. Engage and do our part and get President Trump back to house. Bar in the Department of Justice deals with all the mess. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be very very interesting. Um, we we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back, everybody. Where can you find a burger inspired by flavors from near and far that mixes the smoky? with the sass of the South. 
combines the sweetness of summer with the tang of the country. For savory, sizzling, unexpected flavors. Well, you can find it at McDonald's. The new Bacon Smokehouse Burger. It's the newest flavor of the signature crafted recipes by McDonald's. TGI Friday's famous sizzling entrees that you know and love like chicken, shrimp, and cheese just got even hotter. With new delicious tastes like whiskey flat iron steak and the tastiest sizzling street noodles. Hurry in. Now starting at only $10. We bring the sizzle like no other. New sizzling entrees starting at $10. TGI Friday's, the home of endless apps. Endless apps every night, 9 p.m. to close. And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show, coast-to-coast, worldwide, listened to in 23 different countries, on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenextgenusa.com. And in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people doing their own shows on the network. And as time gets closer, I will reveal all the details. Uh, I do want to welcome our first guest tonight, uh, very, very talented guy, very smart guy, uh, has done a lot, business mogul, Harvard Business School grad, actor, veteran, activist, public speaker, and political candidate, uh, Lieutenant David Gerfine. How are you, sir? Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. And it, it's Lieutenant Colonel which is a surprise for everybody, including my gunny. Perfect. Well, well, even better. Uh, sir, thank you for coming on the show, your first time on the show. Um, I want to, like I do with all my guests when they first come on, I like to ask, you know, uh, how it all started for you, the different chapters in your life, your career, and how you got here to where you are today, and all the great stuff you've been working on. Outstanding. Let's go. Looking forward to it. Where should we get started? You tell me. I mean, I'd love to just hear about your background, the different things you've done in life, you know, all the different accomplishments, the different chapters. I, I think the uh, yeah, the key thread is that I continuously show up in the uh, wrong place at the right time and uh, just keep falling forward. That's the key to success. So uh, I, I enlisted when I was 17, following in uh, the footsteps of both my mother and father. My mother was a a registered surgical nurse during World War II, serving in England. And my uh, father was a United States Marine who fought throughout the Pacific, landing on uh, Okinawa, Tinian, Saipan, and Peleliu. So, you know, it was sort of, it was in my DNA to serve. So, uh, cut out before high school, actually ended, missed the high school prom, and, uh, or high school graduation, I should say. And then, uh, Ended up uh, being a Marine, loving it, and uh, all I ever wanted to be was a sergeant. And uh, as I said, my gunny, he basically pulled me aside and said, son, I don't think you have what it takes to be an NCO. So they decided to put me into officer candidate school instead, and I became a commissioned officer in the Marines and uh, served my time as an infantry officer. I was part of Operation Just Cause down in Panama. Then uh, we were with 1st Battalion, 6th Marines, lead unit into Kuwait during the first Gulf War. Was a company commander down in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And then uh, 
did some work on a staff, and then 98, I re- really didn't want to stick around the Marine Corps being a staff officer, so I actually punched out, and that's why I went to business school. Came back, started working uh, with a little bit of Goldman Sachs Wall on Wall Street, and was working in New York when 9-11 happened. I'd only been off active duty for about three years, and so I called up my old unit, 1st Marine Expeditionary Force. I said, hey, guys, get me back into the fight. And uh, it was about 5.30 in the morning their time. They didn't know what the heck I was talking about. Told them to turn on the news, and they did. I said, stand by for orders. Next thing you know, I was back on active duty and uh, was over in Afghanistan uh, early on in 2002. And then spent about a year there. And then uh, after that, got pulled over to Kuwait and was uh, given a special operations task force to help open up the border for our shock and awe strike. And our job was to clear the way for 7th Marines to dive deep. And then uh, just ran around uh, Iraq for a bit. And then uh, finished up doing some time back uh, back here on Capitol Hill, uh, basically you know, helping to stand up MARTOC, Marine Special Operations Command, which uh, and I told General Halick I wanted to lead them into the first fight they had. Uh, I, I was hoping it was going to be operational, but he said, yeah, good, get up on Capitol Hill and fight for money. And so that was basically where I finished up, up on Capitol Hill, working with Special Operations Command. And then uh, I had a daughter coming along, and I retired to be a father. So uh, I've had you know, various different business gigs and uh, all the rest until recently, about a year ago, I was invited to be the CEO of United American Patriots. And... Uh, you know, just an amazing organization. It's been around since 2005. It was founded by a Vietnam vet, Major uh, Bill Donahue, uh, highly decorated Bronze Star with B, Silver Star, multiple Purple Hearts. And uh, he saw the Hadiva and the Hamdaniya Marines who were being paraded around the streets as uh, criminals uh, being called murderers prior to them even going to trial. And... Uh, he was concerned they weren't going to get a fair day in court. So he founded this organization, United American Patriots, and uh, we've continued to build upon the intent to make sure that, number one, American citizens are aware of what's happening to our warriors and how many times they're being wrongfully accused of war, of war crimes. They're being uh, unjustly convicted and then uh, uh, convicted confined for excessive sentences when basically they're going overseas and doing what they were told to do, and then they get caught up in politics. So we make people aware of what's going on, and then we raise the financial means for them to fight these battles and hire some of the best attorneys in criminal defense and all the experts that are necessary. We go and we provide funding to get research and information back from Afghanistan, where many times you know, the truth is left on the battlefield and we're able to bring back information that actually is called exculpatory information that shows that the uh, warriors that are being accused are actually, they, they haven't committed crimes or the innocent civilians that they were accused of killing actually are enemy combatants. And, uh, and then we help with the appeals and uh, we raise, elevate cases to the Supreme Court or if we can't go that system, we'll pull them out of the military system. Like right now, we've got a case that we put into a federal court with a writ of habeas corpus that basically challenges the Uniform Code of Military Justice and what's happening to our warriors. And then uh, the final piece 
is we help with reintegration. As our warriors, many of them, they, they've, they've served honorably on the battlefield. Many, many of them uh, have done multiple tours, and they might have traumatic brain injury. It's possible that they have PTSD, and uh, they're taken right off the battlefield, accused of crimes, and then thrown in prison. And so some of these guys, they need some help reintegrating back with their families, reintegrating back with society. Uh, fortunately, of all the guys that we've liberated, we've never had one case of recidivism. Uh, no one's gone out and murdered anybody back in the States, and nobody's – actually, nobody's actually even committed any other crimes. And uh, moreover, these warriors, you know, they, they come back and they, they just put their head down and do what they have to do. But it's a matter of making sure that – you know, they know that there's people fighting for them. So that's uh, United American Patriots. People can go learn more at UAP.org, UAP.org. We've got all our cases listed up there. And, you know, it's pretty some, some, some just surprising facts when people find out that the United States government actually flew in enemy combatants to testify against the our warriors. I think people are kind of shocked. I don't think they realize, you know, the extent that, our military prosecutors will do to get a conviction or that how they'll hide information. Uh, we, we've seen many cases like this. For example, you know, there's a big uproar right now about the president coming in and pardoning first Lieutenant Bahana, Michael Bahana. And this is a case United American Patriots have been behind since I'd say 2008. And um, the, you know, the, the concern, everybody's saying, oh, you know, the president, he's pardoning murderers. And, you know, truth be told, yes, Michael Bahena was convicted of murder. So technically, he is a murderer. However, the piece that gets lost, and it and that's sort of, a, you know, there's two parts that lost piece, is number one is the understanding of the prosecutorial misconduct that happened. This is when the prosecutors do something wrong. That gets lost. And in Michael Behenna's case, what happened, the prosecutors actually hired an expert, one of the leading experts in forensics, to do an autopsy. And he reviewed the body and said to the prosecutors that the wounds are consistent. They are consistent with what Lieutenant Behenna is saying with regard to his actions, which were in self-defense. And so the prosecutors fired that expert, and they buried that information, meaning that with the sculptory information that they had a constitutional obligation, and it's reinforced in the Uniform Code of Military Justice, that they had to turn that information over to the defense or present it to the jury. They did neither. And so, yes, Michael Behenna was convicted of murder, but the jury didn't see all of the information. Now, people might say, well, that wouldn't have made a difference. Well, guess what? That's not for the general public or the prosecutors to decide. That's for the jury to decide. And so the jury wasn't given that opportunity. And you know, we see it time again. Even Behenna's case, they said, well, he didn't have a right to self-defense. Well, military, our warriors always have a right to self-defense. They said, well, he acted inappropriately. And he'll even tell you, yeah, he, he did some things that were wrong. Well, that's great. Let's hold him accountable for that which he did wrong. But you can't pile that on and say, well, because you did something wrong, now you're a murderer. Or because you did something wrong, that you give up, you forfeit your right to self-defense. Our warriors never forfeit our right to self-defense. 
Our warriors are always out there doing the right thing, and if they feel threatened, they're allowed to use deadly force in self-defense. So, you know, that's what's happening right now with uh, the pardon. You know, the the other thing where people are coming out, they're talking about uh, Eddie Gallagher, Navy SEAL out in San Diego, and uh, Army Special Forces, Major Matt Goldstein. And, you know, these are two cases they haven't actually gone to trial yet, and yet they're already being called murderers. You know, the our former Secretary of State, uh, the Honorable Miss Hillary Clinton, came out and said the fact that our president is trying to fight on behalf of these individuals and others is grotesque. That's a quote. That's what she tweeted, that this is grotesque. Now, perhaps she, she wasn't fully aware of everything that's going on, you know, Matt Goldstein, this, in this case, his, Major Matt Goldstein, Army Special Forces, highly decorated, put him for, he was awarded the Silver Star, and they wanted to actually put him in for the Distinguished Service Cross. I mean, this is the second highest award for valor. And, and this, this is in a totally unrelated situation. And this is an Army Special Forces warrior who had a, a company of United States Marines attached to him in his operational detachment, and two of his Marines were blown up. And Matt goes out and says, all right, let's start working with the public. So, we, you know, he's got a great relationship. You know, people in around there, they don't understand. Like, our warriors live amongst the population, and the population, depending on where you are, they support the warriors because they don't like the Islamists any more than we do. Because the Islamists actually treat the Muslims worse than they treat anybody else. And so uh, that goes out there. They identify the individual that actually killed these U.S. Marines. And uh, he decides, all right, let's pick him up. And he does. He brings him back. They uh, call higher headquarters. They, they try to turn him over. And basically the response was, he's not a big enough fish. We're not sending him to Gitmo, and we've got no place to detain him. So – let him go. Well, Matt now has to make a decision. What am I going to do with this guy that we know is a bad guy? We know he's an enemy combatant. We know he's killed at least two Marines. And we know that he's seen the individuals, the locals, that have fingered him. If we release him and we send him back, well, my, my warriors are going to be in danger because now we've got, we put another enemy combatant back out there. But the locals are also going to be in danger. So Matt releases him. However, he sets an ambush. And an ambush is a tactic technique and procedure that United States warriors have been using since 1775. This is not some new and unusual technique. He laid in wait to observe what this enemy combatant was going to do. And if this enemy combatant chose to come back, chose to go towards the village to go after these people for retribution, he was going to take them out. And that's exactly what he did. And he killed this individual and disposed of his body, as we the warriors do. It's a, it's a battlefield health issue. You don't need body parts laying around on the battlefield. And over where he was at the time, there were plenty of body parts. But all that being said, this was all investigated. The Army went out and tried to find evidence to support a case against him and could find none. There was no supporting evidence for all of this. But they still didn't like the story. So they took away his special forces tab. 
And they took away his silver star, which actually had nothing to do with this. And so Matt comes, he's like, all right, well, it is what it is. But the CIA at the time had been recruiting him, and the CIA basically said, hey, you're the type of warrior we want. You're a West Point graduate. You're a smart guy. You're professional. You're industrious. You know how to improvise, adapt, and overcome. You're the type of guy we want working for us. And what happened was that the CIA actually gave him a polygraph test in which he acknowledged everything. He never tried to hide or conceal any of this, which people will say, oh, you see, he admitted his guilt. He didn't admit guilt. If he admitted guilt, he'd be in prison right now. There'd be no reason for a trial. He acknowledged killing the enemy, which many of us who have served acknowledge. And that's not – that's well, at least now, nowadays, it's not a crime to kill the enemy. That may change at some time in the future, but it's not right now. That's what our warriors get paid to do. So you know what? This is where the army got really upset. Uh, but it, what ended up happening with Matt? Um, they, again, they couldn't find anything, so they let him go. But they basically put him on this indefinite hold, just in case they find more information. Well, nearly ten years later, you got a couple of investigators that pick this up, and they start saying they've got new evidence. And and the reason that happened is because Matt went on a television show. And on the television show, they asked him about this case. And again, he acknowledged it in public, which, again, he did acknowledge guilt of a crime. He acknowledged killing the enemy. And this was just infuriating the army. So they had a couple of investigators go out and supposedly found new information. Now, all of these investigators, just so you know, they've been taken off the case because every one of them has been put up for charges of their own to include stolen valor. One of the lead investigators was pretending he was a former special forces guy who got kicked out for killing somebody in a story almost similar to the one that he was telling about Matt Goldstein. The problem is, number one, he never killed anybody, and number two, he was never in the special forces. So the whole case is just – it's ridiculous. But you know, people ask, well, why isn't it just thrown out? And as with many of these cases, it, it's almost it, – There is no incentive for our commanding officers, our convening authorities, to throw these cases out. Here's a perfect example. SEAL Team 2 over in Afghanistan, they were accused of abusing some Taliban prisoners, hitting them with rocks and beating them and all the rest. And one of them, supposedly, one of these Taliban prisoners actually, or detainees, actually died after they were released. So... The uh, couple of servicemen made allegations against the SEALs and said the SEALs did this. So this Navy captain says, all right, let me look into it. And he does a full investigation and brings a non-judicial punishment and finds that there was no guilt. They, that The evidence showed that they actually weren't the ones that were abusing these detainees. They were the ones who were actually trying to stop it. As a matter of fact, one of them, like this mob mentality with the Afghan National Police who were beating all these detainees, to get law and order, he fires his weapon into the air to try and get everybody's attention. Well, ironically, that was considered inappropriate, so he received administrative punishment, one of the SEALs, for doing that. But there was no culpability. No, there was nothing tying them to this crime and, and injuring these individuals. As a matter of fact, Locals actually said, thank God the SEALs were there because they were the ones that were able to control the situation. So 
Yeah. It was handled appropriately. It was investigated. But this is the key point, that this admiral or this captain did the right thing. A few years later, the New York Times picks up on this, and he des- and they decide it's a cover-up. And they, they talk to somebody out there, and they, they decide it's a cover-up. So what happens? This case still has not gone to trial. It's still pending trial. And it's probably going to get thrown out because, again, there's still not no information. But that captain, who was an amazing steel, who should have been elevated to admiral, was not. He was not because of the allegation. So right now, our convening authorities, our commanding officers, there's no incentive for them to do the right thing and throw these cases out. And there's yeah. every reason in the world for them to let the system run through. Right. And doesn't it, doesn't it drive you crazy, the fact that, you know, we're putting our own people – you know, on you know, giving them murder charges for killing terror people that commit terrorist acts. I mean, these people are are the devil that you know that some that some of these soldiers have been involved with. Are, are these are bad people that they attack? It's not like these are saints or anything. These aren't innocent civilians. Well, you know, let's let's talk to that for a moment. Because, you know, the, the point that you're raising here is that a lot of these warriors, that they're being accused of killing unnamed, innocent, unarmed civilians. And there's no bodies being produced. There's no photographs of the quote-unquote crime scene. And there's, there's, there's no names. Like, they, they're just some yeah. anonymous person that was randomly killed. But here's the problem. The prosecution actually knows the names of the individuals that were killed in certain cases. Some, they actually weren't any names because they weren't anybody killed. It was just allegations. But, for example, Clint Lawrence. Clint Lawrence Lawrence is sitting in, in prison right now. And he ordered his soldiers, his paratroopers, to engage three enemy combatants, which we know for a fact now were carrying weapons and ICOM radios, because we have the aerostat operator who had the eye in the sky that actually observed it and placed a report up to the higher headquarters to let Clint Lawrence's platoon realize that they were about to be attacked. There's a significant right. action report saying they were about to be attacked. And because we know the names of the individuals that were actually engaged and killed, we ran back to Afghanistan and found the biometrics on these individuals. The biometrics means the DNA, the fingerprints, and all the other data that shows these guys were engaged in bad actions of killing Americans before this. Yeah, yeah and being, being, being of that in this country, made it into the court. Clint Lawrence being, was charged and convicted of killing unarmed civilians. And they didn't uh-huh. even mention him by name because they knew the whole thing would get overturned. So that's one of the cases we, we filed a writ of habeas corpus. Let, let, let me ask you this. Being in that country, being in that country as as an American citizen, like these soldiers, what what are the rules? I mean, you're in a different country, so how do the U.S. laws still apply? Because they're U.S. These soldiers are U.S. citizens, like with the murder thing. Well, well, okay. So there's there's two pieces there. First of all, a- any country that we go and engage the enemy, there are rules of engagement that are not necessarily consistent with civilian or domestic laws that we would have here in the United States. And, and a lot of times it's done, you know, to limit the carnage that can happen. And uh, it's also, you know, it's, the, the intent 
is to try to you know, win hearts and minds by showing we're putting restraint on our warriors. For example, when our warriors first go in, there, yeah. there's a lot of leniency that they pretty much, you know, if they kill, you know, it's called collateral damage. If there are people that are on the battlefield that get caught up in the mix, it's sort of understood that as the Marines, whose mission it is to locate, close with, and destroy the enemy, that if the enemy is hiding behind, you know, quote unquote, innocent civilians, well, they might get killed. And, and it's, not a, it's not a pretty thing, and I'll tell you, having served in combat multiple times, our Marines do not randomly spray and pray. They take the enemy right. out, one shot, one kill. But as the theater matures, as we have people now going into the, the second decade, well, actually coming up yeah. on the third decade in Afghanistan, right. that we're asking our, our, our warriors to be law enforcement agents. And the difference is this. In America, the, the, the bad guys, if you will, the criminals, they mm-hmm. don't try to engage the police. They try to avoid the police. Now, every once in a while, you get some crazy guy that might decide to try and kill a police officer. But for the most part, you know, they want to rob, steal, rape, break things, whatever it is, and stay away from the police. So the rules of engagement for police officers are very different. But what happens mm-hmm. is when now we take our military personnel who don't have six months of law enforcement training, who are trained to locate, close, and destroy the enemy, and we hold them to the standards of a domestic police officer, and mm-hmm. we then question you know, why they, they shot or why they didn't shoot. And the difference is the enemy combatants over there, they're not robbers. They're not criminals. They are enemy combatants whose job it is to kill as many Americans as possible. So now you've got yeah. people that are trying to kill you. They're not yeah, trying they to avoid us. you. They hate us. Well, well, the enemy does, and the enemy should hate us because we're trying to yeah. kill them. We're trying to destroy them. And so the locals, the locals hate them as well. The locals love us. You know, no, no better friend, no worse enemy. They know they befriend Marines. They've got the best friend in the world. So this is where, you know, our government, because, look, we haven't seen warfare here on our continent in quite some time. So people don't understand what's going on. They don't understand. It's not like we have an individual just walking down Main Street, USA, deciding to start killing civilians. These are guys who are in combat zone. Like, all the time, they're being shot at. Things are blowing up around them. And they're, they have to now make a split-second decision on whether to shoot or don't shoot and realizing that if they make the wrong decision, they either die or they could end up in prison. So, right. you know, here's a, yeah. so people are like, oh, well, you know, we have to hold these people accountable because, you know, we have to set the example. Yes, we have to set the example that the enemy has to know that they should not screw with the United States Armed Forces. You know, right after Clint Lawrence's case, First Lieutenant Clint Lawrence put away in prison for quote-unquote murder, murdering and attempted murder of enemy combatants, which is ridiculous. Isn't um, that the guy you just got out? We, no, that's Derek Miller. We'll talk about him in a second. But Clint Lawrence is still in there. We're fighting to get him out right now. But with, the, with Clint, right after he made the decision to engage the enemy and kill them and – bring all of his platoon mates back home alive. Not one of them got injured in that incident. Then he gets, gets charged with murder and put in prison. Well, guess what? An incident in Afghanistan happens where you have an Air Force security patrol 
and a, a similar situation happens. You got enemy combatants on a motorcycle driving towards this patrol, and this Air Force guy decides not to shoot. Now understand, it's within his rules of engagement. He was he is allowed to engage in that situation, but he knows well. Maybe if I shoot and it's really just an innocent civilian, then I go to prison. So he decides not to shoot, decides to tell his airmen not to shoot. Guess what? Vehicle-borne improvised explosive device, boom, right outside Bagram Air Force Base. And so the question is, what's the right answer? Do you engage or do you hold back? And we're putting our warriors in a tough situation because they're saying, hey, if I make the wrong call, I'm going to prison. And these are split-second decisions. You know, even our law enforcement here in the United States, yes, they're able the to cops use have to deal with. Look at all the problems the cops are dealing with. And, you know, we've got so many uh, different uh, media outlets in today's society that twist the narrative on what really happened with law enforcement. And it's, I mean, they can't even, they're scared to do their job, some of them, because they don't, they don't want to get falsely accused, you know? Absolutely. It happens all the time. So, so coming back around to Sergeant Derek Miller. This is an outstanding non-commissioned officer who, I don't care who you ask, his seniors, his subordinates, his peers, everybody loved and respected this individual. He was known as the peacemaker. He was known as the one to turn to to get things done. And you got to understand, this guy, he's taller than me. He's probably about 6'5", I don't know, 250, all muscle, just like a gentle giant. But he has a commanding presence. You see his videos all rest, and he's intelligent. He's insightful. Uh, and despite having spent eight years in prison, he's not an angry man. He's disappointed. He feels heartbroken that his government found him guilty, but he says, well, that's what happens, and it's unfortunate, but he's just moving forward. He's a great, great, great human being. And uh, in his situation, he was running a checkpoint, and some enemy combatants came through right after they had gotten a report to be on the alert that Afghan National Army uniforms, weapons, and ID cards have been stolen. And he sees these individuals who are wearing uniforms that don't look like they fit, ID cards that look like they're tampered with, a whole bunch of uh, weapons, and a bunch of a bag of civilian clothes. And all of this didn't add up. And so Sergeant Derek Miller has the driver step out, has one of his soldiers frisk him, look him for weapons and all the rest. And he reports it and says, you know what? I think these guys are bad guys. And the command goes, well, I don't know, tough call. If you go either way, just let them go. So they do. The very next day, that individual that was frisked, the driver, was 100% accurately identified by the same exact individual who frisked him and looked him in the eyes. So knew exactly who he was walking inside the perimeter of our warriors. And Sergeant Derek Miller was alerted like, hey, that's the bad guy from yesterday. So Derek Miller goes up the chain of command and says, hey, I want to go interrogate this guy and see what the heck's going on. And he's given permission. And he takes him to the center of this forward operating base. He doesn't like try to hide in some corner quietly. No, very overt. Brings him and starts interrogating this guy. And, it, and the guy says, well, I'm a plumber. Well, he's doing this with an interpreter. The guy says, I'm a plumber. And Sergeant Miller's like, where are your plumbing tools? Oh, I, I meant I'm, a, I'm an electrician. Well, where are your electrician tools? And eventually the guy realizes, the other two guys that he was with already had taken off. 
and this guy realizes the gig's up. So he jumps for Sergeant Derek Miller's weapon. And Sergeant Derek Miller, this again, this is not his first rodeo. He's been in combat before Eugene. He takes him out. And right after that happens, their unit comes under attack because the other two guys that were with this, this one individual before, they go back and they coordinate an indirect fire attack on this unit. It was a pinpoint attack. So these guys were actually Taliban scouts who are identifying exactly where the headquarters elements of various different things were located. So this attack came in. However, as was reported by Sergeant Derek Miller's platoon leader, because Sergeant Derek Miller had actually fired his shots and taken this guy out, it actually alerted the entire unit to what was going on. And so all of them were prepared for an attack and not one got injured. Not only did Derek Miller act in self-defense, but he preserved the lives of the rest of his warriors. Well, after the dust settles, though, what's happened? Well, here's Derek Miller with a hot weapon and a quote-unquote unarmed civilian laying there on the ground. Well, unlike First Lieutenant Behenna's case, where they actually had a body and actually conducted an autopsy, they didn't even take photographs of this crime scene, so they just assumed he killed an innocent civilian. They held him accountable. And this is the worst part. They charged him with premeditated murder. Premeditated. Now understand what that means. That somehow he took this individual aside and when he went to interrogate him, that instead of wanting to get information from him, that he intended to kill him. Well, anybody who's actually served in combat and has ever done a battlefield interrogation knows the last thing in the world that you want to do is kill the person that's going to give you information. So it was definitely not premeditated murder. As a matter of fact, the proper charge, if any, would have been voluntary manslaughter, which would have given him a maximum sentence of 15 years in prison. However, because he was found guilty of premeditated murder, because the investigators actually flipped the two witnesses, the, uh, the interpreter who was sitting there, they offered him to be a U.S. citizen, and so he changed his initial testimony. And the other soldier that sat there and actually wrote a statement saying that Derek Miller acted in self-defense, there was a struggle for his weapon, they flipped him because they, they, they accused him of being an accomplice. And they told him he wasn't going to go home on this prepaid honeymoon package he already had set with his wife. And all of a sudden, guess what? He flipped. So they found him guilty of premeditated murder, and they put him away for life. They put this warrior away for life in prison, or for premeditated murder. They put him away for put him away life in prison. Well, fortunately, we were able to come with all hundreds of thousands of people across the United States, start making donations. UAP.org. They started throwing money behind this and said, free this warrior. And we hired one of the best attorneys out there, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel, United States Marine Corps, Colby Bokey. He went in there, and over the past three years, we came in after all this had happened. We were able to get a clemency board hearing. The clemency board came in, reduced his sentence from life in prison down to 20 years, and then right on the back of that, Went now he was immediately eligible for parole, and we came in, and uh, I was honored to testify on his behalf and to represent all the United American patriots across the country uh, and show the support we've been giving, and we will continue to give Derek Miller. 
Derek's mother spoke, and she was eloquent, articulate, and just amazing. Everything about her, incredibly poised, just a superstar of an individual. And then we had two congressmen came testified. One was Louis Gohmert, a Republican. Congressman Gohmert came in and gave some very strong testimony. And then the other office was Congressman Elijah Cummings, a Democrat. And so here's, here's the point. People want to try and paint our organization into some right-wing organization that has a political agenda. And the reality is we get support from across the political spectrum because this is about individuals' rights, and this right. should be above politics. So whether you like Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump or you like President Obama or you hate it, irrelevant. This is about preserving the rights of the individuals who go into harm's way to preserve yep. our rights. If you're anyone, out, if out. anybody, yep, if anybody should have their rights preserved, our warriors should be the ones that we are fighting to make sure that they have the presumption of innocence and that they get their rights preserved. Absolutely, absolutely, very well said. And um, I know, I know, my panel. Uh, we do got to get it to our next guest here shortly, but my panel definitely has some questions for you. I'll go to Eric first. Eric, go ahead. Well, uh, Colonel, thank you for your service. I was over in Desert Storm in Bahrain just for the beginning of it. So um, uh, I, I thank you for everything you're doing. And I, I'm glad you're on tonight because um, we're obviously hearing about the pardon and what President Trump's doing. So do you, do you expect uh, more cases to get up to the White House for President Trump to do the right thing also? Or do you think that, uh, he's already uh, done what he could so far on what you presented to him? No, I, I think we're going to see a few waves of pardons. And I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of information to wade through. We've been requested to provide information up to the White House about the various different warriors. UAP.org is sending information up there. Uh, I believe he's aware of, of, you know, many of the cases that haven't even come to trial yet. And, uh, and if I can, <clears throat> I'd like to make a clarifying point here because the media <clears throat> has tried to stir the pot a bit. And said, you know, the president is looking at pardoning those warriors that haven't even gone to trial. He's trying to usurp the system. He's trying to undermine it and try to, you know, not even give them a day in court. <clears throat> well, this is what's really important to understand. The president of the United States is the commander in chief. He is the yeah. ultimate convening authority. A convening authority is an officer that pulls together the court-martial. They actually they, they put the, the defense, the prosecutor, and the jury. They pull this whole thing together. The president of the United States is the ultimate convening authority. And the convening authority, their job, his job, is to review the evidence. And, for yes. example, if you have a case where there is not enough evidence to support a conviction – or somebody is, has not had a speedy trial, like Matt Goldstein, sitting around a decade while they're trying to find more information. This guy can't get on with his life. He can't get a job. The CIA says, when it's done, we'll thank you. Well, decade. He's waiting to support his family, and he's been put on this terminal hold. If the president comes in and says, you know what? There's prosecutorial misconduct. The, in, the investigators aren't handling things right whether it be an Eddie Gallagher's case, Navy SEAL Chief Eddie Gallagher, or whether it be an Army Special Forces Major Goldstein's case, where neither of them have gone to court yet, or the four Navy SEALs from SEAL Team 2. 
He has the yeah. right to not pardon, but dismiss right. with prejudice. And he has yep. that right to do it. People think he's well, he's not acting. No, this is all constitutionally approved and reinforced in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Let's go to Kevin. Kevin, go ahead. Well, thank you so much for your service and everything that you've done. I think it's absolutely an atrocity hearing all of the uh, absolute infractions that were given to our soldiers that were completely unnecessary and, uh, I would say, criminal to, to prosecute them. I mean, I already hear that out of all the uh, veterans and uh in-duty officers in the military that's apparently there's a statistic that says 65 uh, i mean uh, one soldier commits suicide every 65 minutes and also to hear that there's so much uh being uh committed against them in the in the way of uh you know being prosecuted for being uh in in duty i think that's terrible i mean the fact that we have uh, these soldiers, these war heroes that sacrifice so much and uh, they don't even are afforded their constitutional rights and we're being, uh, we're flying in all these enemy combatants to testify against them and uh, the juries are not provided to, uh, the information and uh, getting all these life sentences that shouldn't have happened in the first place. I find that to be exactly uh, the opposite of America first and so I'm really curious to hear who do you believe are like the main offenders uh, against our, our soldiers in this case? That's a great question. First of all, thank you very much. I appreciate you know your comments and uh, you know. So the first thing to understand is that the Uniform Code of Military Justice, it's it's always been lopsided against the defendant. That, that's sort of a given. The, the system was main, was established to maintain good order and discipline, and so when you have a system where it's very insular and the commanding officer selects the jury. And the jury comes from the pool. Like, here's a perfect example. If you win and you've got a, a summons to come, uh, uh, be on a, a jury, you're going to go down. You're going to see a bunch of people you've never seen before, and quite likely you'll never see again. So you go in. You go in there. Nobody knows who you are. They don't know your career, your profession, nothing. And you sit here and make a decision based upon the evidence, the facts, your morals, your ethics, your upbringing, whatever it is that factors into your decision making process. And then if you're that you know, the 12th angry man, well, so be it. You know, and you have a hung jury, and it's like, you know what? I just don't buy it. I don't think the guy's guilty, and the guy walks. That happens. But guess what? In the, in the uh, UCMJ, the jury, it's not – you don't have one person. They need two-thirds. That's it, just two-thirds, which is a, it's a different uh, burden of, of guilt, let's say. And moreover, you're sitting here with your peers or sometimes with people who are your boss. And so all of a sudden, if you're that one angry person that says, I'm not buying it, really? What is it that you're trying to hide? How might that affect that individual's career? Isn't there additional professional undue pressure on that individual to perhaps go with the crowd? And as much as I'd like to see how, that my brothers and sisters in service are, you know, that their integrity is beyond reproach, I would say that there, there could be some pressure here that, that changes outcomes of cases, especially when you see 98% conviction rates. You've got to say, wow, the prosecutors are really, really good, or there's something inherently wrong with the system. So some of the other pieces that are inherently wrong, you've got what's called unlawful command influence, where 
it's basically, you know, on the broadest perspective, the commander says, hang this guy, but give him a fair trial. And so we see this all the time. You know, the start of United American Patriots was where Congressman Murtha was calling Marines murderers before they'd ever even been to trial. That's certainly unlawful command influence or, or undue command influence at the, at the least. And then you've got prosecutors that can basically act with impunity. And what I mean by that is that they're, unlike in the past, where line officers, combat warriors we used to fill left. these roles. I'm sorry? We only have a few I was minutes to go to break. So I'll go to, to Daryl. Last one. Daryl, I know you have a question, then we've got to go to commercial. Go ahead, Daryl. Yeah, so, so real briefly, I, I have, as a lifelong civilian, I appreciate everyone that's uh, served, and I especially appreciate your tremendous lifetime of service and everything that you're doing for these men. Um, I guess my question for you is about the process and the rules of engagement and these concerns that you've brought up. Um, first off, does your group do any advocacy in terms of actually changing these processes? What are the uh, steps in order to do that? And also wondering if you've seen any encouraging uh, changes to these policies occur under this administration. Uh, and a larger question, is this something that executive branch has some control over? Is this something that got worse under Obama, for example, or is this something that sort of exists outside of that? So, so wondering if you guys do anything aside from obviously your tremendous work protecting the victims of this, this flawed process, but are you guys doing anything to, to institute changes to these things? Great questions, and you hit a lot of really super points, and I'll try to be as quick as possible here. But the bottom line is about a minute. There, there, it's, there's, there's multi-tier issues here. The tactical is getting the individual taken care of, whether out of prison or given the right defense. The strategic is everything you're saying, making sure our warriors don't have their hands tied in combat, and to quickly address your issue that we saw ISIS grow and expand where our warriors had their hands tied for, for years. And then all of a sudden, you had a new executive come in. You had President Donald Trump come in, relax the rules of engagement, and gave the order to destroy ISIS, and they were destroyed. It's that simple. Our warriors are that good. When you tie their hands, you put them in a really tough situation. When you let them do their job, they destroy the enemy, and the local people appreciate them doing the, the really harsh stuff that has to get done to remove the enemy. Remember, World War II ended in four years. We're now going into the third decade in Afghanistan because we're unwilling to do those things that are necessary to end wars. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Please tell everybody where they can connect with you and uh, find uh, your, your site and your business. Absolutely. Please go to UAP.org. That stands for UnitedAmericanPatriots.org. And also go to our Facebook. We just passed 5,000 people following us on uh, Facebook, and it's UAP Inc., I think, is how we come up on Facebook. But we have an amazing social media manager who's constantly populated with the latest information and a lot of times breaking information. 
Uh, we've got a, an amazing team up there. We've got Justin, who's working congressional affairs every single day to get the word up on Capitol Hill. We've got John, who's doing brand awareness and is working to get fundraising to make sure we've got the money to do what we have to do. We have Elizabeth, who's running our office as director of, of operations. And then we've got Michael, who's constantly keeping everything in check with all the administrative and logistic support and supporting all of our volunteers that come in to help. So go to our website. If you have the ability to volunteer, we've got people across the country volunteering. If you have the, the ability to donate, please donate. Our warriors are worth it. So, again, UAP.org or go to Facebook, UAP Inc. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll, we'll have you back soon. And uh, best of luck with everything. I am praying for you, and uh, I'm, really, I'm really rooting for you guys. Outstanding. Thank you so much, guys. It's a real honor, and uh, thank you for everybody that's listening. God bless you all. Semper Fi. God bless you, sir. Thank you. We'll be right back, everybody. Packaging. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey. I tried the patch. They didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit. When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people had changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. Um, this is a Fox News alert for you. The president has just released a message. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaceSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind-the-scenes production. 
everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert, to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. And we are back, coast to coast, worldwide, the Rory Sodder Show, listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past shows, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, the next, N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people doing their own shows on the, on the media site, and I will be announcing all the details as it gets closer. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show uh, our next guest. Uh, we have Todd. I believe there's some noise in the car. Uh, Todd, is that you turn that noise off, Todd? Weird. I don't know why there's noise in the background. Can you hear me now? Todd, are you there? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Beeping. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, so retired Army paratrooper, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, veteran, White House military office, and currently the 2020 U.S. House candidate, Todd A. McKinley. Todd, how are you? Good. How are you guys? I appreciate you letting me come on. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, yeah, I don't know what happened a second ago. There was something like beeping in the background where you were, but I, I'm yeah. glad I figured out. I mean, ear, 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 earbuds, I think, was probably the problem there. Oh, no, we're good. We're good. Uh, so, man, very very glad to have you here. Um, but like I do with all my guests when they first come on, uh, tell us about yourself. Tell us how it all started for you, your career, uh, the different chapters in your life, you know, how you ended up here, all that good stuff. Yeah, sure, yeah. Well, I grew up in northeast Tennessee, which is where the first congressional district is. You know, basically like any yeah. other kid in this area probably grew up playing baseball, basketball, football, all the, all the good American sports, if you will. Uh, graduated right. high school and decided to go on into the Army, and uh, I think it was one of the best decisions I made because while in the Army, you know, I got to travel the world and was recruited to go work at the White House, which was unbelievable. Uh, you know, I spent six and a half years working at the White House Communications Agency, traveled the world supporting the vice president, actually two who, different vice who presidents. Was that, who, was president, who was president when you were working there? Yeah. So it was Bush, and, and, and Dick, uh, Vice President Cheney was in office when I went there in December of '02. I left June of '09 just after Obama and Biden took office. And then I went over to Iraq as a mid-team advisor uh, for about a little more than a year. Uh, came back uh, to Fort Bragg, spent a good three years there, went to Afghanistan as a platoon sergeant in the 82nd Airborne. And then my last duty station was in Fort Shafter, Hawaii, in a, in a training support brigade. Uh, retired there. In fact, my retirement ceremony was on the USS Missouri, where the Japanese signed the surrender in World War II. And then since then, I've been, you know, ran for Congress in 2018, came up short. Uh, but since then, I've been working as, as a White House staff associate, doing advance work for the president, vice president, and uh, enjoying that lifestyle. You know, it's very interesting. Very nice. So you um, explain that, though. Explain the interactions, uh, the, the setting, how, you know, what, what kind of environment. Obviously, it was a like I imagine surreal for a while that you were actually working in the White House. Oh, absolutely. You know, it was kind of interesting. You know, here I am uh, 
sitting on a helicopter on Marine Two, sitting right behind the Vice President of the United States, and you know, just a kid from Northeast Tennessee, uh, c- carrying the communications football for the White House Communications Agency, across from the military aide who carries the nuclear football, and you know, we're about to get on Air Force Two and travel somewhere in the world, and just unbelievable. You know, it's just one of those things that you want to pinch yourself, but you know, you got to be professional and all that good stuff. But it, it's an interesting job to say the least, and it's just kind of kind of one of those things that the best of the best gets recruited to go to that agency. And then, of course, the best of those get get uh, to ch- uh, get chosen to go do different jobs. It's unbelievable, but to be honest with you. Any anything um, like what did you did you interact with a, a lot of the different politicians and a lot of the the uh, you know different lawmakers over there? You know, you know, whenever I was in that that capacity, or whether I was traveling in advance. You had occasions where you would interact with, you know, a congressman, a senator, or a cabinet secretary, uh, you know, the vice president and the president on a regular basis. Of course, you know, it's, it's all in a professional setting. You're not trying to make it a personal or political statement. Uh, so only on the things that you need to talk with those folks, uh, you try to keep it as brief as possible. You know, keep keep personal politics or, you know, personal conversations out of it as best you can, honestly. Absolutely. And uh you know, I, I think it's highly impressive. You were a paratrooper. Explain that. Explain that environment. Explain, you know, your your time over overseas. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I got to go to airborne school because I uh, went to special forces assessment selection, was selected, so was able to go to airborne school uh, en route to the Q course. And, of course, I uh, came up a little short there due to an injury. But ha- had I not done that, I wouldn't have been recruited to go to the White House. But uh, – you know, it was unbelievable just being able to jump out of a C-130, C-17, a Chinook helicopter, or you know, small aircraft. Uh, you know, with some of the best people in the world uh, as a as a job, where you're getting paid to do this. It's just one of those things. Like, you know, not it's not a nine to five job to say the least. You know, sometimes you're jumping out of pitch black middle of the night, uh, training. You know, to, to go around the world and conduct uh, combat operations uh, at, at a moment's notice. And you know, you're with some of the smartest, uh, best, best shaped folks. Uh, who are out out there ready to give their life for this country, and it's like, you know, you don't see this at, at, at you know down at your local five and dime, if you will. This is just a, a special breed of people, to be honest with you. Yeah, and like explain, you know, the adrenaline, you know, being being a para a paratrooper. I mean, you're you're jumping out of planes and you're you're working the parachutes. I mean, that is some complex stuff right there. Well, I mean, well, they make it as, as less complex as possible, to be honest with you, you know, because it's, uh, you know, you have the static line that pulls the chute, and you're just hoping you don't run into the next guy uh, uh, next to you, you know, and if you do, you're trained to uh, pull pull your slip and try to slip away from your, your fellow paratrooper because you don't want to get tangled up, and then, of course, you're focused on, you know, lowering your rucksack, lowering your weapon, uh, and hitting all five points of performance, if you will, or, or five, uh, your, your balls of your feet and all that good stuff, and Ready to jump up, put your weapon in action, and go to work. To be honest with you, but it's a it's an unbelievable job, and it's, it's great to, you know, they have that feeling once you hit the ground that you know, hey, made it out alive, ready to go to work, and uh, you know, ever, hope everybody else is okay. And it's just it's it's so much fun, but at the same time, you have a job to do, so it's you you don't get get time to really enjoy like a skydive. To be honest with you, right? How how many feet up are we talking here? How many feet? Oh, n- not not much at all. Sometimes between 800 and, and you know, on a on a on a good day, you maybe go up to a thousand feet. So it's not very high at all. 
Oh, so okay. very, 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 very low to the ground. And you're, you're, you're usually throwing out a lot of paratroopers at one time. So you, you may have hundreds of people in the sky r- around you uh, in very close, uh, uh, you know, close quarters, if you will. Uh, so you, you run out of room really quick. So you got to be on your feet, if you will, and, you know, pay attention to what you're doing and let your training take over. You know, it's kind of like muscle memory. But it's, it's, it's a great mm-hmm. thing. It's a great job. Yeah, yeah. Is no, it, go ahead. Is go it ahead. Similar, it is the is the height like like the same when you're jumping out of a plane as a as a paratrooper, same kind of height as like skydiving. Oh no, much lower, much lower. Skydiving, you're jumping at at thousands of feet in the air. You know, here you're you're lower than a thousand feet because what the idea is to get as many paratroopers on the ground uh, at, at any one time, so that way you, you can engage your, the enemy. Uh, you know, it gives them less time, honestly, to to react to you as well. So you can throw, you know, thousands of people at your enemy, uh, you know, within minutes uh, and then and overwhelm them essentially. Basically like D-Day, if you think about D-Day, you know, the 82nd Airborne, 101st Airborne, and all the other paratroopers that jumped in behind enemy lines, you know, they did so in the pitch pitch black and within, you know, minutes, uh, the Germans were kind of overwhelmed with all these guys ready to do damage. Yeah, and what, what, what were, you know, what were the um... – situations and the experience like you know give me give me some crazy scenarios while you're out there obviously you're in the middle east so there's a lot going on at one time but what were some things that uh you know crazy the crazy stuff that you experienced right well i i can say i never actually got to jump into combat which is you know one one of those things that you know everybody's kind of like man i'd be nice to jump into combat but never got to do that but you know deployed to iraq like i said as a military advisor and, you know, what we did on that, we trained and, and, and advised the Iraqi forces, Iraqi army, Iraqi police forces, and conducted operations with those guys. And to kind of caveat on your, your previous caller there, you know, there will be a lot of times where we would have engaged uh, in tactical questioning, if you will, of, of various suspected, uh, you know, terrorists, uh, bomb makers, high-value targets, things like that, uh, or, uh, you know, in, individuals that are kind of, uh, I guess, high-value targets of, in a given area, if you will, and you know, it's one of those things you got to you got to know what you're talking about. You got to let your emotions, uh, you know, not get the better of you. Uh, know what you're talking about, and at the same time, um, you know, like like you said, you know, you, you may want to personally want to hurt this individual, but you're a professional, so you don't allow those emotions to take over. And of course, it's uh, after the fact. You know, you sit there and you kind of decompress after it's all said and done. You're thinking, wow. You know, this guy right here is a, a bomb maker, a suspected bomb maker in this area, and we had him in our, in our, our hands basically, and we, we were able to successfully uh, basically apprehend that individual so he can't hurt anybody else. And it's just – it's it's surreal to be honest with you after the fact. It's kind of like a movie after you play it over in your head a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. What what kind of extensive training did you have to do uh, for, for, for this? For, oh, well, for that, uh, basically it's – a variety of different specialties come together, and we trained for uh, over the summer at Fort, uh, Fort Riley, Kansas. So about four to five months we trained before we even went over. And whenever we got into country in Kuwait, we trained for at least another month uh, there before we even got, got to go into Iraq. Wow. So, so wow. basically, so, you know, a lot of you know engagement with locals, engagement with different military. Of course, you do a lot of tactical training and a lot of technical training as well. So it's, you know, it's kind of a complex situation and. Uh, uh, you know, you, everybody who's never worked together, you know, you're kind of expected to be able to go into uh, go into Iraq, basically ready to go on day one, uh, and put your personalities aside and put your, you know, the different ranks that the, these people aside, and be able to, you know, perform a, perform your job and, you know, as, as best you can. 
And, you know, what, you know, I want to ask, this is, you know, this is really, really great. Everything you're doing, I, I mean, I, I, lo- I love, you know, your background, the fact that you're running for Congress now. Um, what made you decide to run for Congress? Um, what, what was the decision based on? I, obviously, you have amazing experience in many different categories. Um, so that yes, it kind of make, it makes sense for sure. Yeah, so, you know, like I said, whenever I was uh, stationed at the White House, I would do advance work. And, uh, you know, we, we would do a lot of things where we were, you know, going out to do fundraisers, say, for a congressman or a senator or what have you. And, you know, you get to engage with these folks. And, you know, I was yeah. thinking, how are how is some of these folks the best of the best that, you know, we want to send them to D.C. to make decisions for us, to make laws that we all must follow? And, you know, I kind of looked at some of the, some of the party politics and, the, you know, of, of the way that they chose some of these people, and I'm like – you know, how, how is this okay? You know, it's, it's these career politicians that a lot of them, and, you know, there's, there are exceptions, but a lot of them have no real world or no, no real life experience outside of, you know, uh, the political arena. And I'm thinking, well, after I retire from the military, I think I'm going to have a pretty good background, a pretty good education. You know, why not sit there and uh, allow myself to continue to serve in a different capacity? And I basically made my mind up, you know, probably – uh, several years before I retired, that this is what I wanted to do is go serve, uh, you know, the the folks in this area in public office, and and I said, what would be the best office to try to try to run for, and I could have the most uh, impact. And I figured, you know, I'll, I'll run for Congress, and uh, so that's kind of what I set my eyes on. Uh, my current congressman, who who was the incumbent at the time, uh, still the incumbent, uh, had said five terms, and of course, in his fifth term, decided to run for his sixth term. And, uh, you know, so I, I thought, you know, he was going to give it up, but he did not. Of course, I lost out to some name recognition. But, uh, you know, it's kind of that mentality where you tell your constituents uh, you're going to do one thing and you decide at the, at the end of the day you don't, you're not going to follow up and be true to your word. And I'm tired of that type of stuff. You know what I mean? I'm tired of the swamp mentality of where you don't have to listen to what your constituents say. You can ignore them. And you listen to your cronies or you listen to those who, uh, you know, who, who whisper the good, good things in your ear. Uh, that you, you go to Washington D.C. and you pass legislation that's good for a certain group of people, but maybe not good for everybody. So I, I'm, I'm tired of people in, in my area being left behind, and uh, I want to go be a good voice for them in D.C. And no, I love it. I love it. What? What? So I imagine you know from from what you just described, you dealt with a lot of the swamp when you were working in D.C. So you, you probably saw a lot of. You know, uh, you know, like sketchy things go on or heard oh, about absolutely. it. Oh, I mean, absolutely, and, and and it still goes on to this day. You know, uh, and, and it's funny is the folks that are talking about you know how Washington's a swamp or you know how how they see Donald Trump and they want to get on his coattails. And a lot of these guys were kind of late to the Trump train, if you will. And they, these 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 folks are what I, what I call swamp dwellers. Who are now trying to play the uh, you know let's drain the swamp and I'm like well you're part of the swamp you need to go, you know so term limits would be one thing that I think could help with that and that's what I want to do is you know try to push for term limits kind of like Ted Cruz and Rand Paul are, are doing, and I, I promise yeah. to uh, term limit myself to three terms and I think with six years in the house you could get a lot done set a good example and, and move on let the next guy in line uh, have a shot at it. I love it. I love it. Let, now, let me ask you, uh, the guy you're going up against, he's been in there a while. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a good chance? I mean, or is he pretty favored in that area? Well, you know, here's the thing. He, he's, he's, he's indicated to several people, several key individuals, he's not going to seek another term. But again, he's done that the last time around. You know what I mean? So 
it's one of those situations. So it's kind of like, a, uh, you know, I, I, I've gotten away with it one time, so I guess I can get away with it again if he decides to do that. I, I don't know that that's going to be the case. Uh, you know, and personally, I, I don't dislike the person. You know what I mean? I don't dislike him, but I just, I just dislike some of the way he has went about business, if you will. Kind of the cronies get to get to win, if you will. And one thing I think he's trying to do is, is hold out long enough so that one or, one or two of his chosen successors would, you know, would be allowed to, to raise enough money so that they could announce and basically have enough to fund their campaign. Uh, and then he steps out of the way, uh, not letting anybody else even take a shot at it. So that's kind of what I, I see is going on right now. And it's, that's another one of those swampy mentalities, swampy games that people play. And I, I don't like that. I think if, if you're not going to run again, I think you should announce – as soon as you know you're not going to run again, uh, you know that way you give people uh, who could have a shot at it a time to go ahead and get all their ducks in a row, get all the people on their side, if you will, raise money, and and then give uh, allow the primary to decide who's going to win. You know, not not the party insiders. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, is he the only other person in your party that you're going up against, or is there other people running in your in your uh, district as well? Well, there there would be certain uh, folks that that are kind of I've got a kind of a long list of people who would very likely be would jump into it. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those when when it's an open seat. The last time, last couple times it was an open seat. You know, we had probably a good dozen people run for the nominations, which is I, I would see that that would probably happen again. Uh, and some of the names that are kind of on the list are these uh, career politicians at the at the state level, uh, which is you know another another part of the problem, if you will. You know, the career politicians go from one office to the next never actually being out in the real world, and in, in, you, you lose focus, and of course you lose uh, – you, you don't really understand what's going on with the everyday person, I think, whenever we do stuff like that. So I want to hedge against a career politician who wants to jump from one office to the next and uh, you know, basically give the everyday people, the working-class people, uh, a voice and also access to their congressmen versus just the, the political types having access. And you know this is a, a very important question. What I want to ask you, and I, and I think it's it's um, something that uh, a lot of you know I'm, I won't say a lot, but there's a good amount of them in D.C. that you know don't don't protect our president and are only out for their own interests. Um, right. You know, we we see a lot. We see a lot of what's going on uh, with 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 Trump right now. You just saw today a judge ruled against Trump's effort. To block uh, the bank subpoenas, it looks like the House is going to get them now. Because you had an Obama yeah. judge that was even over, mm-hmm. was even looking right. over the appeal, the appeal as well, Garland. Uh, and it's just, it's like what they're doing to him, like on a daily basis. They never leave him alone. It's one thing after the other. You know, we have them trying to harbor illegals, and Trump's trying to do everything uh, to stop illegals and coming in the country because, you know, it's, it's really a huge burden on us, on us Americans. And we, we saw Absolutely. today that, you know, and we saw today that he signed something that basically uh, is stopping illegals from coming in and collecting any sort of welfare, which is huge. And he's taking all these different steps uh, to, to ending this, but he can't do it alone. He can do most of it. But what I'm saying, what I mean, and what I'm saying is, when he, by he can't do it alone, that he needs people in his corner. He needs people to back him up because there's too many dirty creatures over there that are backstabbers mm-hmm. and they're not out for his best interest. They may act like his friend, but they're not his friend. 
Oh, I, I agree 100 percent. You know, it's you know, he's president of the United States, not president of the world, president of, you know, a certain group of people. He's not president of the Republican Party. He's president of our country, and he wants to do what's yeah. best for us. You know, you, you may not like the way he goes about it. You may not like, you know, the, maybe the names he calls some people. And that, that's fine. You can have disagreements. But at the end of the day, is he what's he doing is right. It, it, you know, look at unemployment numbers. The, the unemployment numbers are down. Uh, look at the number yeah. of people that are, that are trying to get on get on welfare, and and he's trying to say, hey, hold on a minute. That's for American people who need it. You know, at the end of the day, we can't afford any more of this nonsense. We can't afford to yeah. give away. You know, our country's too far in debt as it is. You know, twenty two plus trillion dollars in debt. You know, this is that, that's a catastrophe in, in the making. Uh, we can't sustain that type of debt. Uh, you know, and, and we can't sustain this many people coming into our country. There's only so much room. There's only so many jobs, and there's only so many resources to go around. You know, it's not it's not that we're not compassionate to their situation. Uh, what we would right. like to do is, hey, stay in your home country, and, and let's let's work together to make your home country better, so that way you can stay there. And the vast majority of these folks, if you ask them, if you talk to them, you know, would love to have stayed at home. You know, and of course they leave right. for different reasons. And of course the fact is we have a magnet that draws them here. You know, we have a great economy. Things are relatively safe, and at the same time, they know they can come and get get benefits. Uh, but these benefits uh, can only go so far. Uh, and at the end of the day, we only have so many so many resources to go around, and we have to put the kibosh on it. We have to put a stop to that. Uh, you know, these should be for legal American citizens who who need assistance in the moment. You know, people who are down on their luck, people who need to get picked up, dusted off, and and, and sent back out there. Uh, you know, we can't just throw things at people and hopefully they'll vote for us. And that's kind of what the Democrats are doing, and they're trying to replenish their voter rolls. They really don't care about these folks, but they'll play they'll play the identity politics like they do. The reality is they, they could care less. I mean, look at who lives in their neighborhoods. Do these folks yeah. that, that are coming here live in their neighborhoods? They, they don't. I mean, my friends and family, they don't certainly don't live in their neighborhoods. I mean, you know, we're not wealthy enough. And if they saw me kind of roll into the neighborhood to live, they'd probably – you know, call the police on me. To be honest with you, you know, what what do you think they would do to these illegals trying to live in their neighborhood? So they don't really care about them. It's about votes at the end of the day. Yeah, it's all it's all politics. We we saw a report out today that Sanctuary City defended releasing illegal aliens that were involved with MS-13 and were accused mm-hmm. of murder. It's all politics. Right. I mean, they let these people out like crazy. And look at where their priorities are. It's terrible. We just saw today, and it actually passed, $400 million in humanitarian aid to Venezuela. I mean, giving this money away to people, leaders over there that pocket, uh, that are known to pocket money. They're known to not give it to their people. I'm just, like, I'm right. wondering where the mindset is. Because, I mean, and there were Republicans, rhinos, that voted for this bill as well. And, you mm-hmm. know, to me... Uh, to me, I mean, somebody can make the argument, I guess, that, well, if, if we don't help them, then they start coming up here. I mean, maybe somebody can make that argument, but I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that would necessarily happen. But it's just – and, you know, there was an article out the other day that they approved money for the Taliban to, so they could eat, so the Taliban could eat and not starve. Like we're seeing some of the most ridiculous things uh, being put in place uh, with this um, House and Senate. Right. You know, and there's a reason why, you know, uh, in Afghanistan, especially in the war on terror, it's gone into its third decade is because we haven't decided to go ahead, you know, uh, and, and basically crush them. You know, do the things we need to do to go ahead and, and end this thing. 
And I, I realize, you, you know, we're not going to change hearts and minds, and we're not going to change the ideology. But at the end of the day, we could crush the ISIS. We could crush Taliban. We could crush all of, all of these different factions that are out there trying to hurt us and try to kill us. Now, that's not to say that, you know, in the future something wouldn't spring up. But, you know, going and camping out in Afghanistan it isn't, isn't going to change their minds. In fact, it's probably going to make them want to hurt us even more. But I say, you know, whenever they decide to step up and, and they want to try to hurt us, then, then we put, it, put them down basically. You know, we, we have to do that. We can't sit there and negotiate with these folks. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you, you think about it. You're, you're not going to sway somebody who's on the left in, the, in our own country that, that your ideology is better than theirs, even if you present them with facts. So it's not going to work over there either, you know, in, at the end of the day. And we look at we look at everything the left's doing. I mean, they're they're indoctr they're indoctrinating politics and shoving it down people's throats, leftist ideology. You see sports channels like ESPN doing it, and you see the left uh, like channels like CBS and CNN condoning attacks on the right, condoning it, mm-hmm. you know, encouraging it, and and you see. They are the do-nothing party. President Trump classified them and labeled them today as the do-nothing party because that's, they're not doing anything with policy. All they're doing is trying to go after the president, and they want to take him down even if he did nothing wrong. They want to frame him. They want to destroy his life, uh, and they don't care. I mean, they, they right. don't care, and it just it keeps getting more and more crazy. And, you know, we see a lot of them deflecting and blaming others for what they're guilty of. The real Russian collusion is with Hillary Clinton. It's with Hunter Biden. It's with all these different people. Nothing to do with Trump. So it's like, it's like a distraction when they say Trump colluded with Russia. They're distracting from the, all the bad stuff that they're getting involved with on the left. And we know right. that the truth is coming out very soon because A.G. Barr uh, started the investigation today. I mean, Trump announced it. Uh, that he was assigning Barr to uh, look into all of this crap. Right, and and I, and I agree with that 100. percent You know, we saw we saw it coming. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's like this: Why wouldn't they sit there and try to work with President Trump, work with the Republicans, get some good things uh, done, and say, "Look to the look to the American people. Look at what we were able to get done. Look at what we were able to accomplish." Yeah. You know, whenever we put all yeah. this nonsense aside, and then go to the American people in 2020 and say, "Hey, I think we can do a better job of it. You know, vote for us." Really, the only thing they're going to be able to show to the American people that they've done in the last two to four years in 2020 is, hey, we continue to investigate. You know, they said, hey, right. let's wait till the Mueller report comes out. You know, and it came out and yeah. it didn't have in it what they wanted it to have. And then they're like, well, hold on a minute, we're going to have to keep investigating this. You know, right. they keep moving the goal. Po- they keep moving the goalposts. I'm like, if the person isn't guilty, and the person, you know, you can't even find enough to even bring a court case against the guy. Um, you know, so so how is it that you, you can continue to investigate the man? Uh, you're wasting the American and, taxpayers' time and money, and we should just move on from it. I, I know you're absolutely right. Forty million dollars, and they found nothing. And don't forget mm-hmm. that once President Trump, uh, you know, puts this new health care into place, the Democrats are going to have nothing. Uh, our panel definitely wants to react, though. Gianni, Gianni, go ahead. Yeah, actually, I, I agree with everything you guys said. Um, you know, but I, I really want to know about the whole like what like what you what is the your guess's uh, view on the tariffs and things like that because like it like <clears throat> I love the economy right now; it's doing great. I agree, but with the tariffs, you know, it is hurting farmers. 
and you know we talk about not giving out handouts and socialism and all this other stuff, but we're giving all this money to farmers um, that we giving them money to help to help them when in reality the tariffs are actually hurting them. So it's kind of like I don't know I'm you know inexperienced in this part in this uh, topic, but I just want to know like how do we move forward and like do you think tariffs are a good or bad thing? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, if we could get a, get away from tariffs, that'd be great. But if it's if it's uh, if it works to kind of push back against China for to get China to relent, I think it, it would be a good thing and be worth it in the long run. Uh, so you know, it, it's kind of one of those double-edged swords where you know, right now it hurts us, but you know, in the long run, if we do nothing, it's going to hurt us even worse. So you know, it, it's I, I wish we could not have tariffs, but you know, right now, if, if it gets President Trump to get China to the table to negotiate a good settlement that's good for our country, then I think it'd be worth it. But uh, don't you? I was going to say, don't you think that part of the reason why China is kicking our ass right now is because they're moving their economy on? You know, like we had the Industrial Revolution, and I believe uh, honestly that everything is becoming digital now. Everything is becoming about you know. The internet and China is doing very good in like a digital revolution. They're moving on, you know, to better deals or whatever you like to say. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things I like about the Green New Deal. As stupid as it is, it has a lot of good points in there about let's leaving, you know, leaving coal behind and fossil fuels, you know, and moving on to newer and better things as we progress. Because I mean, like. How are we going to keep up with China if they're moving on to a different economy and we're still, you know, in the second industrial revolution? Like, how are yeah. we going to move on from that? Yeah, well, well China has a westernized uh, economy, if you will. They don't have – but they have 1.5 billion people, something like that. And, of course, they can pay them like yeah. pennies, basically, pennies on the dollar compared to what the American uh, American worker would have to be paid. So that's how that's how they're kind of getting ahead of us right now. So basically they can create a product and, they, and, and charge far less than what Americans can charge at, the, at this moment. That's how they're getting ahead right now. And, you know, you talked about, you know, technology and things like that, moving away from coal, uh, natural gas, and fossil fuels. You know, I, I like the idea. But what's better than, than that at this moment? You know, wind, solar is certainly not up to snuff at this point. Battery power is certainly not up to snuff at this point. Uh, so, you know, we're still going to have to use those things, for, especially for the next couple of decades. But if we can get to something that's better, then I'm all for it. I'm, I'm like the all the above type whenever it comes to, you know, the energy sector, all the above, whatever works best. And I think if we allow, you know, the private market to figure out, figure that out, I think it would work a heck of a lot better uh, than, than especially what our federal government is going to come, come up with. Agreed. Agreed. No, no, I really appreciate uh, what you're sharing tonight, and I'm, I'm, you're sounding like you're a guy, kind of like me, or a libertarian guy that has conservative views. And um, so, what, what, what would be, what's your expectation? Do, do you feel like if you get into office that you're going to be able to, to, to be heard, or, or, or I mean, uh, looking at it objectively, are you, you think you can make a difference, or is it just going to be? You're one of over 200 going in at one time, and 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 right. yeah. try not try not to get overrun by the the hierarchy. Right. Well, my my thing is is you know going in to, to do just three terms, I think I wouldn't have to sell out to the the party apparatus, if you will. Uh, I would be able to work work with the like-minded uh, you know Republicans and maybe even Democrats that are out there to try to get things done. You know, I always tell people like this: uh, compromise isn't necessarily a four-letter word. If you can get you know, a good majority of the things that you promised your constituents you want to get done, done, 
in one deal or two deals or whatever it is, by all means, take the deal, and you can always come back for the other things. What, what we see is a lot of people say, you know, it's an all-or-nothing proposition. You know, you're not going to get 100% out of anybody. So if I can get you know 60% you know on, on in, a, in a piece of legislation, I'm going to take it, you know, and let people kind of grovel about it in the in the background. But I'm going to go back for the next 40%. So get as much done as you can, and I think at the same time setting an example for others to follow. Uh, you know, not getting in the dirt and you know uh, get, start calling names right away. Uh, you know, showing people that hey, we can be the adults. We can go go have a good good discussion, figure out you know uh, the best way forward. You know, and at the end of the day, make a deal uh, that would be uh, beneficial, maybe even to both parties, or uh, you know, maybe to one congressman or one senator. Uh, but at the end of the day, hopefully, you can come up with something that the uh, American people can live with, uh, with without uh, without hurting anybody, if you will. But, well, well, after, well, after right, you get in yeah, office, I'm, yeah, yeah, after you get yeah, in office, you'll have to give us your feedback on. I, I'm in my talk show. I, I think the aisle is gone. And up in up in D.C., so there is no aisle to cross over. But you can let us know if I'm right or wrong. Right. No, I, I, I could. <laughs> I, I could probably agree with you on that one. But uh, you know, I think that there oh. are some of the, especially some of the freshmen that are in there now that are that are freshman Democrats that just got elected in those purple districts. Uh, a lot of them are fairly moderate to the to the middle of the road. And I think with some of those guys, you could probably actually, uh, you know, come to some agreement with, uh, and especially. After 2020 doesn't go the Democrats' way, I think they're going to see the writing on the wall that, hey, we need to work with the other party and you know, get away from all this nonsensical rhetoric of collusion and all, all that and, and work something out that, that's going to be beneficial to the American people. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Well, thank you so much for your service, and everything you've been saying has been music to my ears. I would really love to hear about kind of your opinion about – the kind of stigma or even backlash that you may receive from the the left. I, I love what you're saying about how there needs to be some form of at least some reaching across the aisle to try to seem like we are trying to help them out uh, or not help them out, but trying to uh, be team players for the good of our country. And also uh, as I'm working as a treasurer for a, a local uh, campaign, uh, city council that is, and that's for a veteran. I, I really wondered too about how much, of a bipartisan issue it is to support the veterans and how important that is because it's not just Republicans that support the military it's, it's pretty much across the, the nation for the most part. But uh, is, is that uh, dwindling in the eyes of the, the Democrats that they're, they're not so supportive of our veterans? You know, I, I see in some respects that that is actually true because you think about this, uh, the vast majority of people who serve in our military and the vast majority of veterans are likely to be Republican or vote kind of conservative and that, or libertarian, if you will. They're not likely to vote for this leftist socialist ideology. I'm, I'm sure there's some that are out there, but the reality is, you, we're not voting for Democrats. So, you know, why would I focus on that constituency? You know, e even if you do go out and do good good things for them, you, your ideology doesn't line up with them. So they're probably not going to vote for you. They'll thank you for helping them out. But they're not going to vote for you. So I think Democrats have kind of turned their back on that constituency, which is why they want to, you know, basically bring more people into this country and kind of give them voting rights, which is how the floodgates are open with illegal immigration. Yeah, very, very well said. Very well said. Uh, let's go to Mike. Mike in New York. Go ahead. Well, again, as everyone has told you, thank you so much for your service to our country and uh, proud to have you on here and proud to hear that we have another 
soldier running for office, another warrior. The men and women in this country, I think our our Congress and the Senate would be uh, a lot better and function a lot better for the people that served. And, I agree. Um, yeah, I really think so, especially as it was mentioned with our uh, previous guest that we had, the, the colonel, when uh, one of one of the panel asked, well, what can we do to change this? That's what we can do to change this. You put soldiers, yep. I don't care, enlisted, officers, whatever, you get them into Congress and get them into the Senate, and then you're going to then you're going to see the changes. Then they won't you'll get the politics out of the military. Let the soldiers do their job. I agree a million percent. Couldn't agree any better hearing what the colonel said. And and that'll protect these soldiers because I had one guy one one of the guys told me, you know, I was thinking about going for a second deployment. He said, "But now that Obama's been elected, I, I don't know if I want to." Is it, are they going to be there to back me up? Am I going to get charged if something happens? Because I don't know no, if right. I trust them. Why? Yeah. Because they politicized it. Get the get Absolutely. the goddamn politicians out of off the battlefield. Get the media out of the battlefield. Let the guys do their job, and that's how we do it by getting people like you into office, and to make sure and that the rules agree. are changed and our soldiers are protected. So sorry yeah, to sound like ranting here, but yeah. You know, oh no, that's, uh, that's true. It, it, it really Very is. Well I mean, and, and thankfully now with Trump. I don't see CNN and tonight's broadcast coming to you live from Samara. No, no more of that. They, they took away. It's no more Disneyland in the field. No more. Of it. Let the guys do their job. Leave them alone. I mean, yep, where's the national business? Yeah, and, and, and the American public, they don't need to watch that on TV and then judge it by how they live their lives here in this country. Yep. It's a different no, world. 100%. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Very thank you for your service. Absolutely. We got to take Thank a quick commercial, and then we'll come. Then we'll come back with the rest of our panel. We'll be right back. Thirty-second commercial, actually sixty seconds. It's two quick commercials. We'll be right back. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. We are back. Coast to coast worldwide. Listen to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our website, thenextnexgenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable names doing shows on the network, and I will be announcing that as the time gets closer. Uh, I do want to go to Daryl. Daryl, go ahead. I know you have some thoughts. Hey, well, first off, I, I want to give a shout-out to a very good friend of mine, Mr. David Majak, who's been tuning in all night. It's been a great program. And uh, to your guest, again, uh, echoing what everyone else has said, really appreciate your service. As I said to the prior guest, I've been a civilian my entire life, and I certainly appreciate everything that you've done. 
I'm very impressed from everything that I've heard from you. I think you've got an excellent temperament, and I think you have the correct moral compass, and I wish you all the best in your current race. And all that I would like to ask you is how can we get involved? Yes, so not not ready to take uh, online donations yet, but uh, go to toddforhouse.com, T-O-D-D, the number four, H-O-U-S-C dot com. Follow us on Facebook, Todd McKinley for Congress. Follow me on Twitter, at Todd for House. That's, again, T-O-D-D, number four, H-O-U-S-C. And as soon as we're ready to take donations, we're going to go ahead and put out a link for that. And then, of course, we'll put out the address where people can send checks and all that good stuff. Uh, social media, you know, doing the retweets, like liking the retweets. Like us on Facebook, you know, help us out there. Uh, you know, help us get the word out there. So that would be a big way to help us out, to be honest with you. For sure, for sure. Um, so please, um, before you go, last question I want to ask you is what are your first three things you'll do, the first three things you'll do when you get to Washington once you're elected? What's on your agenda? Oh, you're talking about as far as legislation or, or what's, what specifically? Yes, exactly. And, and what, what would be, you know, the, the most important issues facing our country, in your opinion? What, what would you be doing, the first three? Oh, well, yeah, so, so a few things. Uh, one would be to try to institute a balanced budget amendment, uh, term limits on Congress, so that way we can get the, the bad things that these bad politicians can do out of office. Also, I think uh, campaign finance reform would be a big thing. Uh, so that way we kind of know where the money's coming from versus uh, you know all this dirty money, this dark money that's out there, kind of owning or buying politicians. I think that would be one of the big things that we should do. Uh, and also, you know, uh, basically adhering to the Constitution uh, and cutting down uh, the federal government as best we can, Department of Education and all these departments and agencies that shouldn't be around, kind of getting rid of them yeah. as best we can. Uh, and pushing things back down to the states, I think the Tenth Amendment has kind of been run roughshod over. Nobody adheres to it. Uh, so that would be one of the big things I would want to focus on. So a number of things I would like to focus on kind of all, all at once. So to say the, the top three, uh, you know, if we just look at the Constitution, adhere to it, I think that would take care of basically everything that's troubling our country, especially at the federal level. Perfect, perfect. Well, we'll definitely have you back soon. Please tell everybody where they can connect with you and uh, get in touch and, and follow uh, all of what you're doing. Absolutely, yeah. So at Todd for House, uh, T-O-D-D, the number 4-H-O-U-S-C, that's on Twitter. Also, you can find us on Facebook, Todd McKinley for Congress, uh, or on the web, uh, on the web uh, Todd, toddforhouse.com, T-O-D-D, the number 4-H-O-U-S-C.com. And once we're ready, again, to take, take funds online, uh, I'll go ahead and put the link up on, on Facebook and on Twitter and put it out there so people can donate online. At the same time, I'll put the address where people can send money to uh, probably within the next uh, several days and uh, be ready to rock and roll and win in 2020 and back up the president. Perfect, perfect. Well, Todd, it was great having you on. Uh, I'm rooting for you. I'm praying for you. I, uh, yes, sir. We'll Thank definitely you. Have you back. We'll definitely have you back soon, my friend. Great, great, uh, great interview. Absolutely. God bless you. God bless your listeners. And hopefully, you know, President Trump's going to make the right decision on all those guys that have been charged with war crimes very soon. Absolutely. Amen. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. God bless, guys. Thank you. Great, great, great guest. We do got to close out. Uh, Daryl, I'll start with you. Where can people find you? can find me at DarylKane2024.com, and 
You can find me lurking around on Facebook, uh, riding Kevin DeKuyper's coattails anywhere. So uh, great show tonight, Rory. And uh, again, thanks to both of your guests for their distinguished service. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Uh, Gianni, go ahead. You can find me on Facebook at Gianni Rodriguez with a Z. Again, Rodriguez with a Z dash Paris, two R's, Paris, two R's. Thank you. Perfect. Um, let's see. Let's go to Eric. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, uh, any of the social media platforms, look up Informant Show. Uh, my show is on Monday through Friday on Mojo50.com, 11 o'clock Pacific. And we're trying to get everybody off of Facebook over to my social media platform, which is MagaBook.com, M-A-G-A-Book.com. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Uh, yes, you can find me on uh, Facebook at Nationalist United or NationalistUnited.com. It's been such a great show, and you have such stand-up guests. Uh, great job, Rory. Thank you, man. We'll, we'll see everybody next week. Uh, have a good weekend, everybody. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. It's been a, it's been a fantastic show. Um, I want to thank all my guests, all my co-hosts, my audience and sponsors, absolutely incredible uh remember our show is listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms and everybody if you miss any past clips past episodes need 24 7 breaking news coverage please visit my media site the next n-e-x gen g-e-n usa.com and remember in the coming weeks we will be having many notable names starting their own shows on the network um i hope you all have a fantastic weekend I appreciate all of your support, and uh, we have so many great shows next week that I can't wait to share with all of you. Uh, We'll see you on Monday, everybody. I'm Rory Sauter. God bless. Cheers. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.